Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are still in our Reclaim series. This week's title is Queer Eye and Velvet. And the question I have for you all before we get started is what is the best thing you heard on the news this week? Um, okay, so Beyonce and Jay-Z dropped a surprise album. It's good. We'll end there. Um, we're still in our We're still in our reclaim series. We're in the book of Luke, chapter seven, uh, and this is what we'll be talking about today. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in a luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out and see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your, your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John, but the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Jesus went on to say, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. So uh, this is <clears throat> the second part of what we talked about Last week, Jesus is addressing the questions and some of the criticisms. And again, it's an example of Jesus trying to get people outside of what to think and into how to think and addressing um, some just actual complainers, which is kind of funny. Um, he's kind of saying, John did this, and, and you're complaining about John doing this and me doing this. Um, and he's trying to move outside of that and addresses that very, <clears throat> very clearly. And so, um, another piece of news that happened this week, um, this isn't news, but the second season of Queer Eye dropped. Yeah. Yes, this has a point, I promise. Um, so, uh, if you don't know what Queer Eye is, it's the remake of a show that came out in 2003 called Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. And the concept of the show, which was very progressive for 2003, was essentially five gay guys go in, they find a guy who's probably like in his 30s but living like a frat, like he's in a frat, and they like redo his life. They get like hair, teach him how to like cook, do his apartment, like everything. Um, and so that was a show in the early 2000s. They brought it back. Netflix, it's a Netflix show. They had the first season, and it like was wildly popular. And so the second season dropped this week. Uh, Sam and I stayed up till midnight to watch it the day it dropped out. And the first episode of the second season 
is the first time, yes, Tammy, is uh, the first time they, the person who they're making over was a woman. Um, and so this second, like, queer eye is, like, more, like, kind of open. And so <clears throat> they're introducing the person it is as they're driving to the town. So uh, it's five gay guys in a truck, and they're driving through Georgia. It's always from Georgia. And they're going to a town called Gay, Georgia. Um, it's not what you think. And it's out in the middle of nowhere. The population's like 800. It's like a small sort of town in the sticks. So I've already made up my mind about this town. And so the woman, Tammy, is this older black woman. And they have like an opening reel where they show a little bit about her. And in just about every scene they show her in, she's in church. And it's a small church in the middle of the South. They're wearing hats. They're all African American. And I say to myself, wow, I love that. And in the back of my head, I'm like, but don't get too attached. Because at some point in the episode, the shoe's going to drop that they are not affirming. And they don't like gay people and how they're going to treat these guys that are coming in, right? So I'm watching it. And I'm watching the whole show just like looking for reasons to not love Tammy. And by the way, Tammy is the most lovable. She's like this like archetypal older black woman in the South who's just like, I love you. Let me cook for you. Let me do this. And I'm trying to find all these reasons not to like her because I know the other shoe's going to drop, right? And so we go through the whole episode. And this isn't a spoiler alert because the plot of the show doesn't really matter. You just watch it for the experience. Um, <laughs> and so we're going through the show. And at some point, you know, we find out that Tammy has a gay son. And so I'm like, this is where the drama is going to come. This is a controversy. This is where it's going to happen, right? And the son recently moved back home. And they're getting her ready. And they're redoing um, her, the community center at a church. She wanted them to do, redo the community center at a church instead of her house. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, and it's this little black church in the middle of nowhere. And I already know the rhetoric. Like, I know that church, right? I am convinced I know that church. And so they go, and she's trying, she's praying. All she wants is for her son to come to this event that they're having at the church. And I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it, Miles. <laughs> Miles, do not go into that church. And, and I'm watching this, and, I'm, and that's what is going to happen, because I know it's what's going to happen. Turns out um, there's this moment where Miles decides to go to the church. He decides to go to the event. And at some point, they give Tammy the microphone. And Tammy stands up. I could cry, because I cried when it came out. <laughs> Tammy stands up in this little black church in the middle of nowhere south and is like, my son was afraid to come in here because he's gay, and he was certain that we would not love him. And if we call ourselves Christians, like we have no, no, nothing else but to love him. And if you do not love your brother, your, I mean, she goes on this like 10-minute sermon about how do not dare mess with my son. He's sitting in the front row, and look how handsome he is. And, and I'm like, Sammy's crying. I'm crying. And I'm like, shoot. <laughs> um, I was wrong. And it was this moment for me, <clears throat> as I'm reading this passage, that I'm like, shoot. I got stuck. I had this cycle of negativity. Someone was showing me something that was real, that was true, but I was just looking for any and every reason to not believe it or not like her, not want her, because I've been hurt, um, because I've been misleaded, because things haven't worked. And so I get kind of stuck in this like loop of negativity I was finding. And sometimes when you get stuck into a cycle and a loop of negativity, you will fight anyone who tries to get you out of that loop. I was fighting Tammy, and I don't even know her. 
And I think we've all been there before. Like you have either been fought trying to get someone out of a loop of negativity or fought someone on the simplest things. If I'm angry and I'm hungry and Sammy suggests I just get a snack, I will fight her on that. I don't know why. I just get into a loop of like, I'm hungry, I'm miserable, and nothing can cure this. Obviously, food cures hunger, right? But sometimes when you get caught in that cycle and in that loop, you fight anyone who tries to get you out. So we have these complainers, right? When you feel like you have earned the right to your negativity, it keeps you there. And I want to validate hurt because it's real and boundaries that we need because they're real, um, and how sometimes people disregard feelings because that's real. But healing is important, and critique is important, but negativity is a dirty, dirty trap. And we, I'm sure at some point we've all been stuck in it, where nothing can get us out of this loop because we can't see anything else. And the audience that Jesus is talking to right now is the audience that had just heard John, right? What did you go to the wilderness to hear? John. Um, and so he's talking to John, or he's talking to the audience who's just heard John. And then there's this moment, right, where he references the critique that both him and John have got, and the critique that both him and John have received is around eating, right? John doesn't eat with anyone. You eat with too many people. Um, and the reason for that was because at this time, in this culture, in this area, who you ate with, what you ate, when, where, and how was of the utmost importance. Everything about the religious elite, the power structures, the empires, the system of that day was like, if you are good, if you are a powerful person, if we know you're right, we can tell by who you eat with, what you eat, when, where, and how. That is our framework for understanding that, and we will stick to that. And you guys have different eating patterns. We, how do we even do this? I, I can't believe you because because you're, you're doing this, right? It's outside of my framework. And then you have Jesus sort of responding. And I remember I had this moment a few years ago where I started to, everything started to make a little bit more sense for me. And I'll explain this. So I had the opportunity when I worked at Pepperdine, I took a group of students to the East Coast on an Ivy League tour. Because when you work at Pepperdine, you just have funding to do whatever. <laughs> so <laughs> I, miss, I miss Pepperdine. And um, I took this group of five female students on this Ivy League tour where we just interviewed the top people, um, mostly women, doing their thing and asking them, do you feel like your faith played a part in getting you to Yale Medical School or whatever? And part of the trip was we got a two-hour tour, private tour, of the Perkins School for the Blind. And so uh, if you don't know about the Perkins School for the Blind, it was the first school in the United States dedicated um, to students who are blind. It was actually the first school created in the United States um, that served anyone with any kind of different learning style. It was founded in 1829, okay, just for reference. And so we get this two-hour tour of the whole school by this woman, and we found out at the end of it was blind. Um, which was wild, you know, she's navigating this whole thing. Everything about this school is designed to help these students just, I mean, succeed. Like, there's a, the hallways, um, the middle hallway is higher, the ceiling's higher, and the side hallways, the ceilings are lower. So the students can hear the difference, right? So they know, oh, if this sounds 
like this, then I'm in the side hallway. If it sounds like this, I'm in the large hallway. And everything about the classrooms and the whole campus had been just so thoughtful. And my mind was just so blown away. Um, it was such an incredible experience. And then she said, do you want to see my favorite part of the school? And I was like, of course. Um, and so she takes us into this room. And she opens the doors of this room. And it is a room. I mean, it's, it's about as big as this one. And it's just racks and racks and racks of models of things, like models of animals, shapes, fabrics, everything. And then there's this, she takes us to this one part, <clears throat> and it's models of like important architectural things, right? So like the pyramids at Giza, the Parthenon, the Colosseum, like little models. And she's, she says to us, if you want to teach a student who can't see about the Parthenon, you have to give them the Parthenon. If you want to teach a student about a hippopotamus, about velvet, about the pyramids at Giza, about whatever, put it in their hands, let them try it, let them see. And I was like, shoot, <laughs> right? This makes 100% sense. This woman is telling me that if someone doesn't have a framework for something to understand it, put it in their hands and show them. They don't have a framework for me to explain just like velvet. It's like velvet. <laughs> I don't know, you know? The Parthenon, there's like, there's, there's poles, but they're pretty, you know? I don't know. Put it in their hands. And Jesus is literally telling these people, you cannot get out of the framework of what the religious empires already told you I should be and what this should look like. And you keep asking me about eating with people, and I'm literally showing you something different, and you refuse to try because you can't get out of your own framework. I am literally raising people from the dead, healing sick, doing these things, inviting you, come and see, come and taste, come and try. And you are sitting on the sidelines being like, but I thought it was about who you eat with. <laughs> no, your framework is bad and it's too old and I am literally asking you to participate in something different because if you participate in it, you will be proved, it will be proved right, right. Wisdom is proved right by all her children. What I'm doing is true, what I'm doing makes sense, but the empire is telling you that a savior is going to come and you will know them because they're going to eat and drink like this. The empire is giving you false information. It's telling you that it's okay to separate kids from their parents at the border and put them in a freaking camp in Texas, and I'm telling you this kingdom looks absolutely different. I am trying to show you a world within a world that looks exactly opposite. Come and taste it. Put it in your hands and try it or else you'll never be able to see it. Where is this kingdom? It's in front of your face. It's the kingdom that says those kids, their parents, the immigrants, the migrant workers, our undocumented friends, our trans friends, our homeless community, black lives, anyone, they matter. Bring them to me. But we can't see it. We are stuck trying to put something that Jesus is saying into a framework that can't hold it. This doesn't work. We can't see it. We don't know what it's like. You can't explain velvet. You go, you put your hands on it, and you feel it. And that's Jesus' continual uh, invitation. It's not sit down and I'll tell you. Consume more information from me, critique it, and if it comes out uh, on the top, then now you know you're right. No, come and see, follow me. I'm doing these things. I'm putting them in people's hands. I'm living it. And so often we get caught in the consumption of information. We get caught in our loop and our cycle of critique 
and negativity and the frameworks that we've been given for the way things sh should look, it even keeps us from participating in the reality that we know is true. Even just this week, we were talking about what's going on at the border. And we can critique, I mean, I can critique all day long. <laughs> and then we're like, what should we do? It was like, crickets, <laughs> you know? And it's hard because it's hard to know what to do. But we have to be willing to try, to taste, to follow, and to see because it's there. The kingdom that Jesus is talking about means radical transformation for those kids. The kingdom that Jesus is talking about means radical transformation for our own healing, for our own loops of negativity, for the own most vulnerable populations of our world. But we have to be willing to get out of, but it should look like this, or it does look like this, or it has to be exactly right before I can even try. And we have to be willing to literally just try this kingdom. Try to put the words that Jesus says in practice, right? Instead of critiquing them, and it will be hard, and it will be difficult, but that's where this stuff happens, right? And what do we sound like, right? Sometimes I'm like reading this passage, and I was like, I sound like that. I'm like, well, John said this, and you did this, so like, I don't know. I guess I, I don't have to try, <laughs> you know? They're just looking for a reason, a right to my critique, a right to my negativity, a right to this endless loop that won't even let me watch Queer Eye without being like, there's no nice people in small towns <laughs> who go to church, <laughs> right? It's a thing I have. It's a, it's a thing I feel like I've earned. I have earned the right to like not trust you, to not try hard. I've earned the right to like give up and just sit and critique. And the fact is, Jesus is continually speaking not only against the Pharisees that do that, but against anyone who gets caught in that loop, which is me a lot of the time. It's probably me right now. I've probably been in that season for a little too long. But here we have an opportunity of him saying, try. The very next passage, the next thing that happens that Corey's going to preach on is Jesus getting anointed by this sinful woman. It's so amazing. The things that are happening in Jesus' ministry are amazing. And they're constantly pushing and saying, like, it doesn't matter what the religious power says. I don't even care. I'm going to be over here doing miracles, hanging with my friends, getting anointed by a sinful woman. Turns out she's awesome, and I want her around me. You can keep arguing about, like, John did this and da 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 Well, I did this, and theologically, I don't know how I feel about that. Or you can do something. And it's not perfect. It never looks perfect, but the invitation is to try. At the end, right, I loved it, and wisdom will be proved right by all her children. You try this, and it will be proved right. It won't be proved simple or easy, but good, healing, healthy, whole. I, if I hear one more critique, think piece from a person who I am certain has never left their computer, I'm going to scream. We are in a wild season of the world where anything can be critiqued by at least 500 voices. And part of that is really healthy because we're calling out some systems that have never been called out. But part of that leads to true inaction and paralyzation and a negative loop that I have been stuck in a thousand times on Reddit, Twitter, Instagram, every social media platform. What would it look like to try? Right? To try Jesus. To take something, to walk into this 
imaginary room where it's just all these things are laid out for us to say like, okay, I'm gonna try, I'm, I'm gonna hold it in my hands. I'm gonna try, I'm gonna feel it. I'm gonna get a taste of what it looks like. And I'm gonna challenge at every step the part of my mind that says, but I think this is what makes you a good person. Or I think this is how you do it right. Or my church growing up told me this. And I'm gonna challenge that to, is this proved good? Will this help the world? Will this help me? Will this help the children in Texas? We say this all the time, that our healing is inextricably tied to the healing of the world, and I believe that. So if we're in this place and we've tried Jesus and we've experienced this healing, it has to mean something for the world around us. It has to, right? If it doesn't, then what are we doing? If it doesn't, then we're, we're the people in this passage, right? We're in just a loop of critique and critique and critique. We're like children, play us music, and then you play it and we don't dance, right? I love that. You, you want something, and then they do it, and you don't participate. Well, the invitation from Jesus is always to participate. And that's my challenge to all of us today, really, especially myself, is how do we try? What's one thing we can do to participate, to hold this thing in our hands in a way that is actually going to create some of the transformation that we see in the rest of Luke from Jesus' ministry? With that, we're going to talk again. <laughs> we're going to get back in our groups, and we're going to ask this question. What would it look like to try? And where in your life would you, would you want to be open to seeing things differently or like to be open to seeing things differently? Where are you stuck in a framework that you wish you could see it differently and you're open to try? And what, what does that mean? Um, you can talk about this question, or like always, you can talk about anything else you want um, that came up. So get in the same groups of people, and we'll be back in a few. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.